This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Are you ready? I'm an open book. Let's go. All right. Ready. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. My name's Jeff Fader. And before we get into it with The Modern Forge, I got to talk to you about a couple of our sponsors. AK Interactive. You got your saw. You got your power hammer. You got your anvils. You, you know what you're going to do. You got the technique. But the problem is, is you, your website sucks. So what you're going to do is you're going to go to AK Interactive. That's our friend. Andreas Kalani, a.k.a. the Golden Kalani. He's got 20 years of experience, full-service design and marketing for knife makers and craftsmen. He's going to make you a website. He's got, he does logo, uh, identity design, business card design, all that stuff. He knows how common platforms such as Shopify, Wix, and WordPress. He's going to help you bring that money in because that's what you need. Stop it with the nonsense. Don't. Don't fool around. Go to go to Andreas Kalani, and when you go to akinteractive.com and you put, and you tell him because I don't think he's got a you send him an email and say full blast ten he's gonna give you ten percent off and what you do is you pay a deposit in the beginning you pay the rest of it at the end there's no monthly fees he's gonna show you how to update it he's gonna show you how to work it and and. If you have a problem, you can get a hold of me and help you out. He's he's done websites for Steve Schwarzer, Mike Tyree, Don Nguyen, Will Brigham. That's the artificery. Uh, Luke Delmere. These guys are the, these guys know what they're talking about. So go check out AK Interactive and uh, get yourself a good website because trust me, you need it. And once you have your website, you need to put something on your stuff, whatever you're selling. If you're selling knives or hammers, you're making hammers or, or knives, axes, use a little axe wax. Axe wax is all natural food safe wax for your axe, your handles, for your steel, for the wood, whatever you got, for your boots, for your jacket, for your backpack, leather, whatever. It's great. And there's no bi- uh, petroleum byproducts. There's no, nothing icky to give to your customers. So get yourself some axe wax. Go to axewax.us, put in promo code FULLBLAST10. And you get your 10% 10 off. Stop the nonsense, guys. So without any further ado, this is the one-year anniversary of this podcast. 52 episodes in 52 weeks. No stops, no no playing around. We made it here. And I'm celebrating it with three of the finest people I know. The Modern Forge is a highly decorated seven- Editor's Choice, Blue Ribbon Champions, blacksmithing team extraordinaire, founded by Cliff Dufton, John Ariani, and Jesse Savage. And there's and then you, I was fortunate enough to be involved. Guys, how are you? Good, good. We we couldn't have done it without you. You were more than just involved, sir. Well, <laughs> you know, you were essential to our our debut performance. Well, it's fine. It's it's it was a lot of fun. So basically, you th- we started out doing hammerings and stuff, and then what happened? How did the modern forge start? Well, as as the as the general, right, Cliff? Uh, <laughs> uh, we uh, <laughs> the general, the leader, the you created com- it, right? The the commandante of the uh, modern forge. We uh, <laughs> our friend Adrian. He's the he we had the. Uh, he's a sculptor. He had uh, he was one of Cliff's students, who uh, was a Burning Man guy, and uh, 
it was funny. A lot of the a lot of the Maker Fair guys are also Burning Man guys, right? Wouldn't you say, Cliff? Burners, like, yeah, they're burners. I believe they're called burners. Uh, you know, t- during that season, they go from makers to burners, and uh, run a lot of uh, aspects of of that uh, experience. And uh, our friend Adrian was he he had done a, I guess a few of the you know crazy sculptures at Burning Man, and uh, you know talk was talking to Cliff. Cliff was actually the reason. Uh, you know, I like the buses chops, but they uh, you know Adrian said, hey, like you know, there's this maker maker fair thing like you know would you be interested in doing something and uh it kind of just progressed from there cliff talked to me and then we sort of well, I, don't, I don't know thought about what could we even do and so wait a second stop for a second here no okay stop for a second <laughs> so maker fair is this what was it wasn't uh, it was it maker fair or is it maker no because maker camps what we did yeah, with Jimmy's. Cat, the, the Catskill Maker Camp. Yeah, right. That's yeah. Maker Fair was the Maker first, Fair was first the, thing we did. The first thing, and they're yeah. they're no longer in business, right? So Maker, they, Ma- I think they are just they not. Are, they just yeah. don't do a show in Who's, uh, in, in Queens. In Queens, because right. I, I guess it's just outrageously expensive to rent that. Just which makes do, perfect sense, but guys, somebody's got to stick their headphones farther in their ears because <laughs> I'm going to get the emails about the echoing. So if you have earphones, stick them farther into your ears. That's sorry about that. <laughs> Mine are so, all the way in. They can't go any deeper. That's what she said. All right. So listen. <laughs> it's for you, Craig. So so Maker Maker Fair was run by Maker Magazine or Make Magazine. Right. And it was basically I remember taking my kid to it. Uh, you a few years before you we all went, and it was this enormous space in Queens. And they had scientists and lots of it was like almost like an, it was like an outdoor convention, and they had three D printers and they had all sorts of sciencey stuff and it was really a giant event. They had like how many people they had there like hundred thousand people. Yeah, well, it was ninety thousand the year we we demoed, right? Yeah, well, I think well, so. The yeah. most interesting thing is is when I had taken my kid there, it was really like STEM stuff, science stuff. So the fact that they reached out to to you to you guys to say hey you guys want to do something was such a huge I mean it was a really great opportunity I mean obviously these events are looking for a little boom bam a little bit of fire and stuff um, but one of the amazing parts besides the fact that we got there is we got the best spot in the whole place yeah no kidding I think I mean, when I found out, I think we, if I remember right when Cliff and John decided to do it. Jeff, you immediately bought the megaphone, <laughs> and then I think I invited myself along with my wife Carrie, who is like one of the other members, and um, that was awesome. I, mean, I was only there for that Saturday, but I know you guys did. Uh, or Cliff, you were there what Friday night? I think we. Uh, it's it was like you loaded was this like in two, Friday, two or three years ago. We loaded in the night before. It was, I, I believe it was and four then, years ago. I think it was three or four. It was three years ago at least. No, because it was four. Oh, it was, it was maybe f- no, it was three. Because it was at least two because it didn't happen last year. How I many years th- in Corona years? Yeah, <laughs> I know. You, well, we lost a year. I want to say it was three years ago. I think it was three. So, Less, because it, it was around like October or something, right? So it, this October or whatever would be the third year. It was an amazing event, and I was sh- I was sur- I had been there before, and I was just surprised 
that we got such a good, you guys got such a great spot. I mean, I it was like the surprised. highlight. It was the highlight spot of the whole place. I mean, it was like the center stage. I was I was like so nervous about the whole thing because it, it wasn't even it wasn't like you said we were asked we weren't really asked I think the guy Adrian knew asked him if he could recommend anybody and he recommended us and when the guy was like interested in what we were doing and I actually looked at it and it was all like technology stuff I was like how are how is this going to compare you know this is this is forging everything there is technology and like CNC and yeah, it definitely didn't seem like it meshed. Yeah, like, I was like, you know. but I was the chance I was willing to take. I guess we were all willing to take. And well, well I think that, that's that's why it was, why it was nice so popular. Yeah, I think so too. Well, then we just you know start heckling all different. the other guys, being like, like we're the original CNC printers. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, is most of the people. Have, I mean, it wasn't like it was. It was. It had a Burning Man quality to it because it was outdoors, and they had like tuba players on unicycles with fire flying out of them and remote controlled robots and stuff like that. And there was this degree of like, I don't understand. Maybe somebody could figure out how the whole steampunk thing came out, but there was a lot of steampunk kind of female, you know, everything was, it seems like everyone's sunglasses were like riveted and there was like lots of (laughs) copper and top hats. And I just wonder, it seemed as though, um, we we all coming in there with real anvils and real you know technique and stuff. It's like is pushing away this kind of a concept of this this larping you know this foolishness. But really, I I find that I think it's interesting because there wasn't a we. I mean, the, when they approached you, Cliff, uh, when uh, when they approached you, there wasn't really a we. I mean, it was like you know we had done hammerins at uh, John's shop and at my shop and stuff like that. But there wasn't like. I mean, you kind of had to cough, we had to kind of cough it up after they asked us to be there, right? Yeah, I probably just gave him like a, a it, was, it was so long ago, I don't remember exactly, but I probably gave him a vague description of like what we do, what we what we thought we would do. And it wasn't even a full, you know, fully thought out idea. But uh, once they were like, yeah, let's do it, kind of started thinking about things and I, must like I was the, like, I was like, we need, we need, we need help. I was like, I can't, I'm not doing this by yeah. myself or whatever. I asked you guys and you guys made it for sure. Yeah. I think that you know, the good... like it wouldn't have been the same if it was just me and John as, as much fun as we are to like watch, <laughs> talk to each other. But I, right. I have a sh- my, 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 my patience is shorter than everybody else's. <laughs> but you know, even just like, you know, you and Carrie, like, you know, it, we had such a huge ring that you guys were off in like one quadrant of it. Like, oh, demo, yeah. and, and you know, using all your like experience for teaching the bottle opener classes, like you guys were doing your own like little demo in the corner, and then like you know, Jeff was at, at the you know at the apex of it, you know, doing his his chef knife forging. Me and Cliff were just like smushing stuff, and we're doing the team striking like in the middle. Like it, it just yeah, it, it was it, awesome. It was, we it was like literally like a three ring circus, and we were just like right there. Like in the middle of it, and that was just like it was such a good spot. We should have had the whole ring. I would kicked out that horse, so we could like really <laughs> spread out. But you know that that's that's me. You know, I'm... it was a. They gave us a huge space. I mean, that was really. They they really, really did. Yeah. When I got when we got there, you know, one of the things that I don't think people realize is is John and Cliff had to bring a ton of equipment, presses and 
and anvils and tables, and I felt like you guys brought the entire shop there. I did. I brought, I loaded up my whole shop. Yeah. And actually, for like we had been planning for the the next year, had they not gone you know or canceled the event, not you know because of their financial reasons, because it wasn't it was hadn't been COVID. It was the year before that, uh, year before Maker Camp, right? Or no, it was the same year yeah, as, as our not- first year of Maker Camp. We were going to do Maker Fair like the month before in September and then right. do the first right. year of maker camp. But like I had just bought that, that power hammer from Chris cash and we were just going to be like, I'm, I'm bringing this, like yeah. we're going to bring the mechanical hammer. We're going to have the press there. We're going to like, I, you know, I, I still, I, I don't have it in a solid, you know, concrete foundation. I just have it on timbers and, uh, uh for the sole purpose of lifting it up and bringing it to like maker camp or maker, whatever that was maker fair. Right, and, you know that, and just to make the spectacle like even more, because like, what's more? I, I don't know. It's like the maker, like the mechanical engineering of it. It's like a mechanical hammer is like is is that right there? It's like literally this thing just swinging around and like smashing the metal. Like that would just be such a cool thing to see if you have no idea like what you know. Yeah, most pe- most people have never seen a mechanical hammer for sure. I mean, I mean I just did. like smushing pipe on the hydraulic press. People were like. Oh, they couldn't believe it. They couldn't yeah. even believe what we were what we were doing. But like you know, in this in our blacksmithing world, it's like, oh yeah, you know, it's nothing impressive really. If if this had been an Abana event, it would have been ho hum. Oh yeah, the, the it would have been is, ridiculous. Is I think that I think that one of the great parts about it, and probably one of the reasons why we did win. Now we'll have to explain the whole of uh, this the the blue. So they have all these events, and they and so Maker Magazine has editors and then what they do is at the end of the event and it's like a two or three day event and they're like hundred there's like ninety thousand people show up. It's huge and they go from and they're and they're, they're I would say that there's at least I would I'm wanting to say like a couple hundred booths. There was like everything from like you know you could bring your kids there and that you they could do you know work with CNC machines or little tabletop you know routers and stuff like that and lots of Arduinos and all that stuff. But the fact is, is there was a lot to see. And one of the things that I loved about it is when you came up, Cliff, when you came up with the name, The Modern Forge, there's something to it because, especially considering it wasn't an Abana event, the people who came there had never, mostly, the only thing they most likely had ever seen was Forge and Fire. And the fact that they were looking at something that was such a giant part of civilization i mean the blacksmiths did the the fact that it's you know the memory the civilization's memory of what the a blacksmith did is gone i mean wiped away it's wiped away it's so shocking still to if you really think about it and the fact that you know cliff you came up with the idea of the name the modern forge and people were like watching us and we didn't look like your typical blacksmith that you'd see in the cartoons with long beards and we didn't have you know it was you know it was a little bit it was really was more of a modern forge and there was kind of like a blue man group quality to it where people were just standing there and watching yeah you know? 100% yeah the thing the thing about those maker events is you go to a blacksmith meet and everybody will watch the entire demo to see exactly right. how to do every process. But in the maker community, they're just they're watching bits and pieces and getting exposed to kind of the medium and, you know, the art of what you're doing. But they're not really there to watch the whole process. There's a lot of judgment, I think, too, with the blacksmith. Like, you know, Jeff, you tell the story. More you, critical, you know, like, yeah. You know, you went to uh, whatever whatever that was and you see the black and he's just like putting it in, take looking at it, putting it out. 
Like I, I went to like, <laughs> you know, I went to my village, local yeah. Renaissance fair, like, uh, you know, tuxedo and, uh, you know, tuxedo, New York is the big Renaissance fair sure. around here. Like I go there, I'm like, fuck this guy. This guy's awful. Like, I, I'm like, you know, yeah. you, you see him and even, even like, you know, you going to like the actual blacksmith events, you know, there, there is a fair amount of judgment that you're making on people. And I think it's, maybe it's intentional. I, I it's, I think it's just natural too. That you're like watching this guy be like, oh, I wouldn't do it that way, or I wouldn't have done it that way. I think that, I think that the 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 I think that it's I'm glad that we really had this. You know, it was an audience that was not prepared for what we were going to do, and I think that the biggest problem with all these demos is, is like you were saying, if this was an Abana meet, I don't even think that they would watch. I don't I don't necessarily think you could have a captive audience forging a full pair of tongs and people sit there for the whole thing you know and i think that what we did was we picked cliff you cliff you and john came up with such a great idea you brought the press that you built this beautiful press that you built and you just got stuff to squish it wasn't like a one heat it wasn't like a 10 heat thing it was like you got these giant pieces of steel and we're just gonna squish them and let people watch you squish them they would squish something and it was almost like you know in like disney world when they count down okay it's almost one o'clock the parade's coming so cliff would shove in a piece of steel and then he'd pull it out stick it on the power hammer it would squish and he'd walk around people and they'd go whoa and the best part was is this is such a non-blacksmith thing this is like this is pt barnum shit then he took a, like a ball on a piece of steel and then he made like a, a, a bowl. He would smush mm-hmm. something and then and then smush a bowl and a ball into it to make a bowl. And then he'd walk around and then he'd fill it with water and watch the bubbles and the steam and the water boiling. And people were like, oh, my God. It was totally <laughs> oh, great yeah, that, because the, it was like the tea light candles. You were giving Pete, yeah, the tea light candles. You were putting a tea light candle in there. You weren't even lighting it, and the whole thing would ignite. And people were going crazy. And it was so great because it was really, was it P.T. Barnum? 100%. 100%. But it gave people the idea of what we were doing, and it was really, really cool. Yeah, it was cool. It was cool to watch what the young kids would hang on the fence. Yeah. They glued to it, you know. Had never seen anything like that, so... Did I tell you? I, that I think there was I a thought kid? of that because of my paranoia about like not getting people's attention at that event. I was like, I had that feeling like people wouldn't watch us demonstrate a long thing. I was like, You're right. something like short and kind of like flashy, I guess. It it reminded me, my friend Jamie Montgomery. Um, he when when we were younger, out of college. He and his band would go to the uh, subway station in Williamsburg, and they would play and they would practice the same song over and over again. And it was like they just put they put like a bucket out, and people were just giving him money, and they were just practicing in the subway the same song. And it was because people were getting on and off the train, so like they could play the same song, and then the the people aren't standing there saying, "Do you know anything else?" Because they were coming down, getting on the train, getting off the train, they would hear the song. He they could play the same song the whole night. And it was practice, and it was it was it felt like that in the, the sense of people aren't going to come back to see. Hey, don't you want to see me set this rivet? They don't give a shit. And and the fact that we came up with these very quick things, high you know sparks, high flame, high you know excitement, it really got people into it. And I think that it was a very smart thing. That I think that that's probably one of the hardest parts about like trying to bring this concept of the modern forge back is. How do you bring people back to 
to to see all this? How do you bring them back? And I'm not. I I think that we were kind of tapping into something that was really kind of neat. Well, even just like, you know, just to be contradictory to that, like we did have people who stayed for, you know, I forged a hammer. I think one of the days, and I forged an axe the next day, and like. I know some people stayed for the entire time that I was doing it. Like, I would, like, look up and be like, oh, my God, this guy's... Steve Pellegrino's still here? <laughs> he was there all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, was... I, didn't, I didn't know who he was at the time. I'm like, this fucking guy in Aviators, this, this handsome, handsome man in Aviators is still <laughs> standing here looking at me, watching me forge something. I'm like, who is this I dude? did notice he was in the background of that uh, the uh, video Jeff posted. Yeah, on, yeah on that's the right. Blast. That's right. I was like, that's Steve. Well, I, I, there was another story. I got a message from a kid who wanted to come work for me here at Fader Knives. And we had talked. And I had – we had scheduled a time for him to come down and just kind of look at the shop and see if he wanted to be an intern. And we left it there. And then one of the days, there was a kid, st- like, kind of, like, eyeballing me the whole day. And he was there for a couple of hours – and then huh. after a while, it was so weird and creepy. And I was, just, and I went up. And he's like, "Oh yeah, by the way, I'm the guy who's going to come and visit you on Monday." And I was just like, "You didn't say anything. You just stood there for three hours like a creep, and you didn't say a word." And then I ended up, I ended up not hiring him because it was like I was so fucking weirded out by him. He's just like, he he, he just kind of came down and he just sat there and just stared a hole in me. And I was like. I can't have this. I can't have this weirdo in the shop with me. It's just not going to happen. And I ended up, I don't remember what I said. I think I, I think I was just like, not going to work. There was a lot of, there was a lot of other things, but it was like, it was not the best interaction. So, Hmm. but at the same time, there were, there were still lots of guys. So do you want to talk about your interaction with the guy who banged my two hammerheads together? (laughs) That's That's a good story. This is a great story because this was actually the, also the, this, this was the first time we, I ever met Jimmy Duresta with his, with his, with the dudes. That was the first time I met Chris Zepp. Chris Zepp was there. That was the first time we met, um, uh, Brett McAfee was there. Skull and Spades. Skull and Spades 13 was there. I'd never met those guys. And, um, a funny story. The first time I talked to Chris, I don't remember what we were doing. And he started talking to us about, I don't know about S7. I seem to remember S7. And I said to him, I'm like, I've never used S7 before. And you've never used S7 before. I'm like, who is this guy? Now Chris is like one of my favorite people, but it was like, I remember the time I was just like, yeah, I don't know everything for Christ's sakes. But the funny thing is, is so I guess it was, was so the way we set up, this is the story to tell. The way we set up was Cliff and John set up this huge table. We had uh, like uh, police barricades around us, which was great because obviously there was, you know, there was peril. You know, there was like there was a line of peril. And we you set the table up and you had all sorts of um, hammers and axes and, and, and like things that you guys have made. And then and um, it was far away enough that you couldn't reach over and grab anything. And I remember we were talking, I don't remember when it was, but we were talking to Jimmy and one of his dudes. And Chris was there. Chris Zepp was there. And Jimmy was there and one of his dudes was there. And I was talking to Jimmy. And then all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, one of the guys who was with him picks up two of Cliff's hammers. They were mine. Oh, two two of your hammers, whoever's hammers. One of them was Damascus. One of them was Damascus. And he and well, you tell the rest of the story, John. No, I'm just, you know, just clarifying a little bit, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> I know you like to embellish. 
Well, I mean, you know, P.T. Barnum over here. You got to have, you got to show. And I just remember. I don't want just... Cliff getting credit for any of my hammers, though. <laughs> <laughs> They're too good for Cliff. You just make really nice handles. That too. I make better hammers. I do make the best handle in the business. <laughs> well, I mean, what about Roy? <laughs> Roy. <laughs> don't get me started on Roy. All right, don't. We love Roy. All right, so, we so love this guy. Roy. This guy picks up the two hammers, and he starts hitting them against each other. And I just, I, I just kind of like, I said, "What are you doing?" It's like a I baby. Said, what then, a baby does with their toys, they kind of. Like I totally, yeah. He just like, yeah, he just you started hitting them together. together. They're with mere finished faces, and I just, I, I just, I, I kind of lit him up right on the spot and right in front of Jimmy. And then all of a sudden, Jimmy like hangs his head and he goes, "What are you doing?" And I said, he, and he turns to me and goes, well, I just want to see how, how hard they are. And I said, you don't need to know how hard they are. That's not what you do. You're never supposed to hit forging hammers against forging hammers. It's just not, it's not going to tell you anything. And he goes, well, I just wanted to, and I just, the more he said, the more angry I got. And then Jimmy said, Jimmy said to him, do I have to put you in the car? <laughs> you remember that do i have to put you in the car and there was like this humiliating moment and it was like this but it was hilarious because jimmy was so funny he was just like do i have to put you back in the i car? mean a, a little addendum to that now that we're talking about it like i remember what that guy looks like and i have not seen him like <laughs> I, mean, any, I was just gonna say that was like i kind of don't like see him in that like usual crew of you know these makers that are floating in around in and out of Jimmy's shop. Like you're dead to me now. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I, I, I kind of don't remember that guy. Do you think? Do you think that's what happened? You think that that was the end of him? We'll no. have to find out from Chris Zepp. We Maybe. have to know if that was too much. He he, uh, he ostracized himself. We're, we we might just like, have to, may back, have to ask the man him himself. Out of the car. <laughs> he pushed him out of the car. Left him in Queens. <laughs> Open the door. Going sixty down the highway. And that's how Derek from Malden showed up. Right. He made it in. He, he got a promotion. He got a promotion. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea that Jimmy Duresta has this pecking order, and if you if you step out of line, there's like it's like Tetris is up, and then all of a sudden the new guy comes in and you know takes his spot until you know he's done something. You hit two hammers together, and then all of a sudden it's it's out out on the LIE. You're out in the road. So the great the one thing I felt I did I, I disliked. And this is a nothing. Spe- this is nothing special. But I hated the fact that Jesse and Carrie had to leave because Sunday morning when we started up again, it was it was the three of us. Was it the three? Yeah, of us? I thought yeah. I, I can't. There was something going on Sunday. Like yeah, I had yeah. to, I had to be back, but I was like, damn, I wish I, I could have slept like at John's or something, and then I shot back were, over. But I should have. I wish you were there. Ordered. For when all the editors, so so what they do is, they have all these editors, and then the editors go to all the different booths. I guess mm. I guess that the editors have a certain amount of ribbons, and what they'll do is, they'll give the ribbons out to the to the booths that they like the best, and then people just started. One editor came over, and another editor came over, another editor came over, and it was like this. It was this amazing like. It was this really fun moment of like the first one we got was cool, and then the second one we got was cool, and then all of a sudden it was just like we need more of these, and more and more of these editors start started stopping by with blue ribbons, and it just felt like that was the one thing I was just like, God damn it, I really wish Jesse and Carrie were here 
when we were getting all these ribbons. Yeah, that would have been cool. Well, I, I was I was torturing Jesse enough because I think that same day, uh, some random couple who came to watch us had just bought like a two hundred and fifty pound hay button. Oh, like, that's right. I remember that in like pri- <laughs> in like pristine condition from some like grandpa for like a hundred bucks, and it was like a block or two away from where we were. Like that's they, found, crazy. they found it on Facebook Marketplace because the guy spelt it A N N V I L L E. Yeah, of course. It's like I'm selling this anvil, and they just like happened to find it, and they were like, "Oh my god, you guys are here with anvils!" Like, guess what just happened to us? And they went and bought it, and then they ended up being like, "Well, I got all this cash left over. Like, I'm gonna buy one of your hammers." And it was one of the hammers that I had promised to Chris Cash, and I just sold it to them. I was like, I'm like, I'm like hey, hey, Chris, man, sorry, man, I'm, I'm pretty backed up. It's going to be another couple of weeks. <laughs> Not sure if Chris knows that. Well, he does know. He doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> I, I, I have to tell you that was like one of the highlights was that it was kind of, I remember that second day where it was the morning and there was like, it was kind of overcast and, and then just these, Sort of the ribbon started coming in. It really felt like something had been built. And the cool thing was, and, and you know, the whole thing about the megaphone was, I just knew that you just gotta, you gotta, you, there's, there's this thing with a lot of craftsmen, blacksmiths, and bladesmiths. And there's this kind of this idea where, the, well, the work should speak for itself. Unfortunately, the work doesn't have a mouth. And you have to. There has to be a way at at some point to get people's attention. And it just seemed like I remember being at this event before, and I, remember, I had the layout in mind. And I just thought, how are we going to get? Because there's hundreds of booths. How are we going to get people over to us? So I was just going to get the. I'm going to get. The, I was like, I you can. I'll come, but you got to let me bring a megaphone. And then I just started yelling at people. You didn't even ask, and like. That was, I mean, this is why, this is why we love you because Cliff and I are talking about how, what are we going to do? And it was like, I think we got to ask Jeff, like Jeff would be great. He would just be great for this. And like, we asked you and you just sent us back a screenshot of your, Am- <laughs> of like the Amazon cart of this megaphone. And it was like, it was like, no, no words were spoken other than like, I'm bringing it. And it was, yeah. and, and you did. And it was, you know, I, t- we, obviously we told you. So much times we just rave about you. We're so, you're so great, and uh, you you like made the whole thing because Cliff and I are fucking weirdos, and we just like neither of us is like the the extrovert that we need to be. And having you on board just like changed the whole dynamic of of the of the performance, really. Yeah, because like, that, that's what it is, you know. And and Jesse and Carrie, you know, you guys were so great, and it, it just built. It, like we really just like literally, yeah, like built it up, like kind of on the fly and it was great but it wasn't really on the fly because it, we had done I mean when enough... you're considering like what we we had no idea what was going to happen you know and we're That's just, what I was just gonna like say, man like no we idea. you know we have no idea what to expect so we're like let's bring like we got to bring in Jeff like he'll be so great like talking to these people like let's bring in Jesse and Carrie like get them down here because like they're just so nice they have teaching experience like they they know what they're doing like they're our friends we'll just be like we're comfortable like having you there, like it, I don't know. It just it just evolved like so naturally that it, I wish it was still going on like it, you know in that way. 
Yeah. I think the the greatest thing about the megaphone was Jeff was able to describe what everybody right, was right. doing to pe- for people. So it wasn't like you were just watching somebody hit a random piece of metal and he didn't know why because he was telling telling them the process and what, what they were making. I have to tell you the origin because when I was at the Center for Metal Arts, we would do demos once in a while and John Ledford, the lead, lead man, would do the forging. But he, what you know, Uri Hoffi was the best at like talking and forging and explaining as, as he goes, goes along. The problem was with John, he didn't really, he wasn't at the time, he wasn't as verbose. So Ed Mack, the owner, had Miko down too, and then I would explain to the viewer. And a lot of times, especially someone who doesn't know what's going on, you have to talk very plainly. And you can't just assume people know what fullering is or, or what, you know, like peens and all that shit. That people, you can't expect people to know that. So you have to figure out a way to speak in a very plain manner. So I had done that before. And it was a way for me to kind of explain what was happening. Because it's still, you know, you can, you can watch blacksmithing. But if you don't really understand what's happening and you don't have a way of making people get it, then it's just like you're, you're losing part of that. I still feel like with blacksmithing in general, less bladesmithing and more blacksmithing that because it's still so, I mean, it's so the, the idea for the masses is it's so gone. It's gone from our memory. I always feel like every opportunity is very important to make it sound approachable. And I really kind of felt like it was really important to be able to tell some jokes and get people to listen and not be too brainy and not talk about the science and not give them too much and, you know, make it, you know, let this be their first experience of not seeing an anvil with Wiley Coyote, you know? Right. But I mean, you know, it was, uh, it was an, it was an amazing event. I mean, it was like, I, I do, I do one of the, I didn't expect us to have as good a time as we did. And I certainly didn't expect us to talk we talked for weeks afterwards about how we were so jazzed because I mean, it was, it was like this, not only was it a great event, but I mean, we were, we were yeah, I think celebrated. We were, yeah. We were all set to kind of demo together. I think that's how like the maker camp thing worked out so well too. Even yeah. better because I think by the time that came together, like we all kind of had it down with what we were doing. Well, I felt like the maker camp, there wasn't as much pressure on us. No, there because... wasn't, which was nice. And it was, um, and people hung out a little bit longer. It wasn't like this mass ninety thousand right. people through. Um, I, I had so much fun that weekend at Maker Camp. I think I, we had just as little of an idea of what we were doing for Maker Camp too. Yeah, you know, Cliff and I had sort of figured out like the, the anchor thing, but we, you know, it's another one of these events where we just have like no idea what. So. We had a little bit more of a plan on that one because we had well, no, done, we had we had a done plan the maker, like, maker the demo set so in the we demo were like, sense. We we could do this. Let's let's try a little harder. We were let's also set. like looking forward to doing maker maker fair again, and it didn't happen, and because of their their situation. So right. let's just set. You know, the thing about maker camp, and I'm not 100 percent sure how connected it was, but what maker camp was. At Maker Fair, Jimmy Duresta was there with his gang. That was the first time I met Jimmy. I'm sure Jimmy yeah. played a big role in, you know, well, having he... them ask us to do the Maker Camp. Well, that was the whole thing. I believe that that was the whole thing that he had wanted. He, I mean, that was when he first started getting into blacksmithing. 
and he'd wanted to get us involved with the Maker Camp. And that's when uh, that's when Maker Camp got a hold of you, Cliff, to get us involved. And um, I, I, you know, the Maker Camp thing was really neat because it is it's neat, but at the same time, it's tough. Because it's tough because it's not like you know centrally located. It's not it's not easy to get to, but what you're going to it's a different it's a different it's a different group of people that's going to go there from Maker Fair. Maker Fair is because it's in Queens. It was very, you know, STEM oriented and science kids and stuff like that. Maker Camp was makers. It wasn't really like Yeah, you know, that's hey, true. Hey, what are we going to do this weekend? Yeah. So well, like, it's just the venue itself too, I think is makes it convenient even though it's like in the middle of nowhere. You know, outside Hudson, New York, like East Durham is like what is that? But, you know, to get, if you're going to go to Maker Faire, uh, you buy the ticket, which was not cheap, but then you also have to stay somewhere within Queens, New York City. Like, that's pricey. But, like, the Blackthorn, you know, you can buy a ticket with in your whole package, and you're almost, you're, I don't even, I don't know the numbers, but you're probably not even spending as much as your ticket to Maker Faire alone to get a ticket and the weekend pass, you know? It was... When when they like when it's, they it's it's like a perfect situation for them, and for the people the, the attendees. So when they came up with the maker camp thing, it was I mean it was a really great idea because it was more fo- focused on makers. Less there was no CNC stuff. There wasn't a lot of science stuff. There was you know it was the beginning stages and and um, I really I really liked the amount of effort they put into it, you know. Uh, I think Maker's Camp was great. It's definitely very different, but in, in a in a good way. I mean, there it wasn't like a lot of little kids. I mean, and nothing wrong with that, but like, it's more like the crowd is more makers themselves. And, it's yeah, not just spectators. Yeah. Like, they're or... more like trying to learn from it, not just being like wowed by it. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how to. Well, and they had the whole teaching area set up. That was um, a good idea. Well, yeah, yeah that was super fun. good. Shout out to Bob Menard. He listens to this podcast. <laughs> Uncle Bob. Bob brought, Bob, and, uh, Bob brought a great setup. Bob brought Bob Menard of the NEB, vice president of the NEB. Everyone should join the NEB. Um, he brought a pile of forges. He brought a pile of anvils, hammers, tongs, and yeah. he let people fool around, and it was awesome. It, it was is, That is a great setup they have with that trailer, and he's able to like bring everything and just set it up. Bob, I mean that was like a that was a that was an audible at the end. He's just like, I just, what did he say? He just show. He says, I'm just going to show up with all this shit. What did he do? Was he, was he part of he it? He just drove the trailer. It's like I he just, he just like hooked up. It's He's all... like, I'm going to set this shit up, and I think Chris Cash is like, okay, great, <laughs> put like, it over there. All that stuff just like lives in that trailer. It's such an amazing setup. It is. They they have like so. I mean, they even have like the bleachers like that they can set up for yeah. you know for demos and stuff. And those those anvils um, are not half bad. Those two hundred dollar. I think they're yeah, like 90, yeah. They're like one eighty or something on Amazon. They're, right, they exactly. are not terrible anvils. They're not. No, great. they're, they're but, not great anvils. But like, I almost was like, I'm gonna buy one of these things just to like, I don't know why not, just have it around and like you, you know, sometimes you need that sh- that weird shape or you right. know that that weird cone shape or weird surface or something. The the face is a little thinner for something that you're forging. Like it's just whatever. Yeah, I've I've definitely recommended it to a lot of people starting out that want to go out and try to find some antique anvil that they're you know they spend a ton of money on. I'm like, there's no reason to if you're getting into it buy buy something like that cheap and then see if you like it and then even then when you beat the shit out of it you don't even like 
didn't even care because it was right. <laughs> under two hundred dollars, and you're like, all right, well, you know, it, it had its moment, and now I'm, you know, now I find, you know, I'll call Chris Cash and buy some obscene, you know, Peter Wright <clears> thing. Oh, I just got, I'm getting a Peter Wright tomorrow. What? Oh, that's right. Thanks to thanks to Jesse, I actually this is this is, this is <laughs> I didn't do it. <laughs> no, I mean you've advised me. This was actually this was actually going to be a dilemma. I was going to have you guys have. So a friend of mine, not too far from me, said that he's got a neighbor who has inherited a building or he inherited a shop, a small shop, part of his like I guess as part of a wood shop or something. And he sent me a picture of an anvil. And you know how you know non non blacksmiths when they look at an anvil, how they met you know. All, the picture was is like the 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 anvil, you know, the profile picture with the tape measure going from the horn to the to the pritchel hole. So it was just like didn't tell me really a whole lot, you know. So he's like, well, what do you think? What do you think you can get for this? And it was, you know, all I could see was like it was pretty chipped. The, the corners are pretty chipped up, and I couldn't really identify it. So I sent a picture to to uh, Jesse, and he says, oh, that's a uh, Peter Wright, and it's probably uh, it says sixteen on it. It's sixteen stones. So it's like one hundred fifty six pounds. And and I said to him, well, what do you think it's worth? And he goes, well, forged in fire price is like six or seven hundred dollars, but like a fair price is around like four hundred dollars. I said, yeah, but the corners are so the corners are so fucked up, and I don't know what the face looks like. And he goes, ah, let's ask him to see if he'll take it for three hundred. So I said, I said, will you take three hundred? He goes, yeah, sure. So he's coming to look at the rest of my shop. So tomorrow I'm gonna go give this guy the the dilemma was really you know they originally wanted me to like advise them on what to sell it for and part of me was just like do i try to tell these people that they should try to shoot for the moon or should i tell them what it's really worth and i was and i was wondering what you would do in that situation i mean that actually it's funny that the whole situation literally just happened to me too uh like this guy you know old timer just like a kind of a collector slash hoarder like has so much stuff and uh like I just got sent literally probably like 50 pictures like in a Google uh what's the like external thing not Google Drive maybe it was Google Drive whatever some it's like you get the link and you just go and you're just like oh my god there's oh, like right. so many pictures here yeah. cuz they can't send it all in an email right and it was like I'm like going through so much crap and then like oh and they have this and like I said I was like oh there's an anvil in that you know I see the horn sticking out what is that and uh it was a Samson just like you know the one I got and you can kind of the where the Pritchell hole is. I was just like, oh, that's totally Samson. The guy's like, oh, well, this one's, you know, this thing's no good, right? This is like nobody wants this. It's just like, well, yeah, it's pretty rusty, man. It's worthless. How much? Yeah, you know, <laughs> like that was that was my that's what I did to my <laughs> the guy where I got my Samson. It's like, how much would you want for this? Like, I don't know. It's pretty rusty, but like, <laughs> it's pretty rusty. It's pretty rusty, man. I don't know if I can if I can work with this. Dude, it's pretty heavy, man. Uh, but like, you know, I, I was honest with them, and uh, you know, Samson. I mean, Jesse, you can you you know you can confirm this, I guess. But like, they're pretty rare, especially you know rare, around yeah. here. Um, they're you know it's a totally different anvil. It, I think it it's like a, one of their smaller sizes. Like mine was maybe like 160 pounds, and this one I think was under a little bit. But uh, it's like, well, you know. Like, what do you think? I, I was just like, you just put a random price on it. Like, I was like, this is how much they go for. Like, I wouldn't pay $4 a pound. Like, I would pay like 4 3 or $4 a pound. People are charging 5 6 7 8 9 10 a pound. Yeah. You know, you see, these prices are all over the place. It's outrageous. They are, yeah. But, right uh, now, it's crazy. 
I, I mean, I, I was thinking just for something that was like a little bit more rare, you know, maybe you get more. But it does require some. The people who are selling, I mean, like you, you got guys like Chris Cash who are selling anvils. He knows what an anvil is supposed to look like. He knows what you can do with one, right? And I, I, in the situation when I was in with this Peter Wright, you know, they didn't know what they had. But at the same time, they didn't realize that, you know, I think that when antique people are selling these anvils, they see the numbers, but they don't see, they don't have any understanding what, what, how you're supposed to use an anvil and how the faces and the corners are supposed to be and what's a good anvil, what's a bad anvil. They just see money. And, and what happens is, is I just feel like, I, I, you know, Jesse, you know better than anybody else. People are just getting raked over the coals. There was a, uh, I had a guy that I, we had a class with, uh, had a class with us uh, back a while ago, and he was selling an anvil. This thing looked like somebody used it at like an oxyacetylene torch table. Like they, it was like all, yeah. it was all like, you know, you could see where the, the you know, he hit, nicked it with a torch. And he was shooting for the moon. I mean, it was really bad. It was really bad shape. It was like more than just like hitting with a grinder. It was like really kind of chewed up. And and I just and he and he was charging like he said it was like seven hundred dollars, and he's and I said to him like wow that seems like it's a lot of money and he goes well how much do you think it's worth I'm like and I had to explain to him like well you can't use it the way it is I mean it's so damaged that there's so much work that needs to go into it why would I pay top dollar for that hmm. did he did he understand that I mean at the, at the I think. I think yes, but at the same time, it's like, okay, well, Fader doesn't want it. <laughs> yeah. Who's next? Right. And I, and Someone will love it. Someone will pay the money, you know, which is business, you know, what's what's business ethics where, where it comes into, like, all this shit. But, like, you see, like, I see it all the time, like, on Craigslist, but, like, I also see the same anvil just, like, sitting. Yeah, like, right. Like, Jesse, you, you know, you peruse, like, you see the same thing, and someone just is, like, not going to let it go. They're just, they set this ridiculous price and they're just not going to like budge and it's just going to sit there. Yeah. You get some of the, like some of the antique dealers that don't get them all the time. So when they get them, the, the price is high because it's not necessarily something they're worried about selling because they'll know what will sell, but they, it's an attraction. You know, people, people will stop and look at it and, um, do you think that's what it is? It's like the prices are so high because these guys don't, they're so rare to get. No matter what they look like, they're just going to uh, give you like, I don't know. The people, yeah, the people that hunt those tools can find them, you know, because there's like, there's quite a few dealers in Vermont that like focus on like, you know, old tools. And, and those guys always have anvils and, um, you know, different blacksmithing tools. But, um, like the, the store that my aunt works at in, uh, Whitehall, New York. You know, they occasionally get them and they, you know, they're generally high, you know, and I think it's just to be like to attract people, you know? Yeah. Um, well, an antique, I, an antique dealer is probably is different than like, you know, a grandma or someone, you know, someone cleaning out grandpa's like garage or something and be like, oh, what, right. like, what is this? Like the antique dealers, you know, I guess in business, right? Right. And they're, they're, you know, they're looking to make a, some sort of commission on it whether it's with you know whether it's a um like a what is it not a wholesale i can't think of what's the opposite yeah, of wholesale yeah. like someone someone put something up for sale like in retail, a store, really retail. Like, retail like if i like we we have got i got this little tools like a uh, uh, tool shop in my town here which is like great because i found like 
all sorts of weird little treasures. Like it's basically like a garage sale that's consolidated to like a storefront. Right. And uh, like you go in and it's just like this guy is just there. He has like a brick and mortar building and like I like I could bring I could bring, you know, whatever, a bunch of calipers or something that I just have and say yeah. here, like this is what I want for him. He'll mark it up a little bit and then if he sells it, like you know, he gives me like whatever my my little share. That's awesome. He um, does consignment. Consignment. That's the one. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking yeah. for. Yeah. You know, yes, like an antique store is like a little bit like that, where, uh, you know, either I mean, I, we have we have like a big antique store. Like that's like it's like 15 people in this in this one building. Right. They have these like weird little corners, and they're very territorial, and it's like. Yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. Is like a lot of the antique shops here are like multiple people, and you yeah. buy your you buy your booth. It's like, and then so. you know, you're like, oh, like how much is this? And like, and it's like right on the edge, and they're like, oh no, you gotta ask him. That's it. Like that's his. Yeah. All right. Like, just, all right. Let's all just. Here's like, the. Yeah. So here's, down here. here's the question: If we, we are going, we're we modern forge is going to the maker camp this coming year. I mean, I don't see any reason why we we wouldn't. You know. Would you bring anvils to sell? Would this be this? Because now all of a Jesse sudden, sold it's an not anvil like, last year. What'd you say? Didn't, no, I didn't sell one. I sold well. I sold one to Chris Cash like a couple weekends before, and then he sold that one there. Yeah, but I mean, if you wanted to, I mean, Jesse, you have like the Anvil Orchard of, of Vermont. If yeah, I don't. It's, it'd be tough to have. Yeah, I guess you could bring stuff to sell like that. I didn't think I, mean, I didn't, you, I didn't think about the, it you, that way. You have the. I mean, the audience is there. That that was the one thing. The the one thing we didn't have in either Maker Camp or Maker Fair was we didn't really have much to sell. I sold. Right. I sold a and bunch of hammers really our, both. You, oh, you, well, yeah. Of course. Okay. I, my bad. Look, I'm doing. I'm doing under the table shit while you're not looking. Don't you know? <laughs> Listen, you, I think you, I just gave people bottle openers. Yeah, no, we definitely gave away a lot yeah. of bottle openers. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, we had this stuff out for display. I think Cliff Cliff sold an axe and and. Uh, I sold a couple. Wow, of you guys are sneaky! I think we gave away a couple of those plates, maybe. Oh, at Maker Fair, we were we were so high on our seven ribbons and you know i did have may or may not have had a cooler of beer but uh yeah we we were just like throwing stuff at people at, at the end of the day on sunday i would that was think... kind of funny actually because we weren't allowed to bring beer to maker fair right and john like we went me about? and john yeah exactly what you're talking about that was yeah. a rule that was a, that was a rule <laughs> I don't know. I, it was, I'll, it was I'll water. leave that one alone. Those are Coca Cola sleeves. Maker, maker like, Fair is fair, gone. but there's no Maker Fair. Whatever. That's the the sad part was was when I when we had heard, I remember that we had found out that the magazine had gone under, and I remember that we were very depressed because we had such a good time at Maker Fair. It was depressing the fact that they all went. South. I remember Cliff. You were kind of bummed out, right? Oh yeah, I was. I was so looking forward to it because of, I think because of how paranoid I was and nervous I was about doing it the first time. And then once we like got it out of the way, I was like, wow. Like I was like, we we could do so much better next year now that I know what we're in for. So I was like, the... I was so pumped to like do it again and just like be more prepared and have like a better show to put on and show what we can do and everything. So I think I the best out. part was we were able to have fun. Yeah, we we had you know we had a fucking blast. We were definitely all on a high 
for like uh, you know i would say weeks after that yeah it it was i mean that's the craziest part was i seem to remember for a couple of weeks we were sending each other messages being like i'm still a little bit high from this that was like giant i can see why people crave attention i mean i could i can see why people you know dig the spotlight because that, that was really a surprise to me i mean i was like i remember when i got there i had to put my hat over my eye hat over my face and and look down and have my sunglasses on because i didn't want to like i didn't want to have eye contact with people while i'm screaming I'll say yeah and I, I, had, just I had my sunglasses their... <laughs> on the entire time I just remember being very much along the lines of I'm just going to hide behind this microphone. And and then I, I just remember a lot of times just not like looking at people while I was talking. And it made me that's it made me a little bit more at ease. But as we got through, it was it felt very much along the lines of some of, um, you know, it was a fun. It was so much fun. And, and I'm, I, I'm, I it, it made me very sad when it didn't happen again. Yeah, for sure. Hey, so, can I can I go off topic? Please. Um Cliff and John, you guys that like uh gate that you made for what was it, Cliff's school? Oh that was this that was astounding. Why are you talking about current current stuff? Wait. <laughs> let's talk let's talk. You know, well, I just you know, want, I haven't talked to you about it. You don't you want to live in really, the past, bro? No, well, no, the past is fine, but that 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 gate it was incredible. And you guys you posted it only in your story, so you couldn't really go through and see everything in it but it uh well, that I, was I, that was absolutely amazing i've become a bit of a story whore and uh <laughs> i i don't want to yeah. i don't want to post anything ever that anymore that doesn't go away after 24 hours uh, right i but, hear you there. Uh, i think you know i i was like yeah because it's you know it's kind of cliff's it's cliff school cliff you know did a lot of you know, really all the design you know obviously we talk about it a lot but you know, I'm like Cliff. When are you gonna post that? And like the concrete really comes down to the the like the, all the stuff like the concrete around it. Yeah, it's they're go, they're gonna eventually it. restore. And it, you know, I I don't blame you know I don't blame you, Cliff. But uh, you know, he's like, oh, like I want it to be like a really good like shot, like a good look of it, like when they actually like have like because we chipped out like. All right, so wait, wait, just let's set this up. Let's set this right, up. Set yeah. up we, you didn't explain what it is. Yeah, so it's the so where I work, the art the students gate. like everyone York. follows me. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. John, Come on, man. Every, everyone knows. <laughs> All right, I'm chilling out. Cliff, Cliff, tell tell that how this whole happened. How this whole thing happened. Uh, so the school I work at, Art Students League of New York, has you know a, a front. They're on 57th Street between 57th and 58th Street in Manhattan, and they have a. A front entrance on 57th and across then, the street from Carnegie Hall. Maybe you've yeah, heard of by, it by Carnegie Hill, <laughs> by Carnegie Hall, Columbus Circle. It's around a lot of stuff in, in Midtown Manhattan. Maybe. And the front of the building is on 57th. The rear is on 58th. Right by Central Park. Maybe you've heard of it. Right by Central Park. People probably know it. Columbus is. Circle. Yeah. So the the rear gates of the school they're two like emergency exits, and they just have these like really shitty old like fabricated you know it's like half inch square bar gates that were just like completely falling apart and the front main gate is like a huge i would say it's probably like a, a 10 by 10 gate like real old blacksmith gate like beautiful and they asked me if i would want to like do the rear gates and make them like emulate the front gates so i was like yeah let's do it and you know we, we did it, and the gates came out great, but at the same time, 
they, none of the masonry work around it is done, and that all looks like terrible. And also, right next door to us is one of the tallest buildings in Manhattan, which is still being built. It's the Nordstrom building, and their scaffolding covers our entire building. Right. Uh. And it covers the like the facade in the rear. So like you can't even step back and take a picture of it because it's covered in scaffolding. So that's so, that's part of why yeah, I like, like my yeah, my, my, goofy, like, my goofy boomerangs and like me running like down the alley of it is like you know about as far back as you can get. Yeah, yeah if, as if you think saw, back on yeah, the story. If you saw that story you, you can kinda of tell it's like covered in scaffolding and yeah. you can't yeah. which is fun and fun. you know, you get the, the gist of it, but to really like I think the show to really show it off. Because that building like the Nordstrom building is gonna be incredible. Like this thing's like what they're doing is absurd. And then, you know, Art Student League is a beautiful building too. It's a yeah, it's an old landmark building. It's right. it's it's a great. You so know, once all that it, stuff gets down, it's gonna be a great shot. It doesn't mean we should right. show what it is, but you know, I saw. Wait, yeah, how much I did that weigh? Them. How much did it weigh? I think it was like each door was like three hundred, three hundred pounds or something. So like, Jeez. and that's one door. So it was like two double doors. How'd so you each set of doors was like six hundred pounds. Cliff and I are fucking strong, man. <laughs> we're, we're, we're we're a couple of young bucks, man. You know, leverage, leverage, leverage. No, we just we just so no, we made the right door up, two. The doors are two separate pieces from the frame as well. So like we made the frame and then the doors, you know, go go on individually. So we only had to lift like three hundred pounds at a time. Did you? Uh, that's still a lot. Did you? Did you have to ever do any permitting or anything like that? What's that mean? Sure. What do you mean, I mean by? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. All the permits were pulled. All the all the papers were properly filed, and uh, would, Chris, would Chris Zepp file all your paperwork for yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. My the accountant reviewed everything and sent it to our lawyer, and uh, the ten ninety nine is in place, and you know, we're all good. Don't you worry about I that, ask, officer. I won't do any follow up questions, yeah, Your yeah. Honor. No more follow up questions. <laughs> No, that was that was a fun one. I mean, the install was like crazy because, like, it, you know, it's down those. You know, when they do the construction in Manhattan, they like make these like plywood like tunnels. Yeah, that are just like these like you know, it's super shady. Like, I don't know how even as a six foot two, two hundred and thirty pound man, I'm like, I'm not walking down this thing. <laughs> like, fuck that. And then like, you know, you, we're, we're trying to install this. Like, we're like grinding out masonry. Like creating dust like we got our mat like real masks on none of this other stuff but like we're like just making this like cloud of masonry like silica dust and like people are walking by trying to go to work be like like they do this like shrink away like Ugh! like it's gonna actually <laughs> protect them it's just like it made the whole thing so slow it's like don't people just like why didn't you just cross the street but that was a fun a fun little insult like the nordstrom building like how many times do those guys go by delivering like their uh, the uh, the exhaust system, right? That was oh, like the yeah. second day. Like they were just like bringing by like pallet after pallet of uh, like just aluminum whatever whatever it is galvanized steel like sheet metal ducting. And like every we're you know we're I'm just like we're trying to hold it. I'm trying to hold this thing plumb while Cliff like tacks it into the to the anchor. And so just supposedly, like, oh. supposedly they guaranteed that they're scaffolding is going to be down within a year great so uh, so you didn't have any problems like any, any union guys didn't come up to you and like you didn't see the giant like inflatable rat 
with the uh, oh, I mean, no one set up a rat next year. No, they were you know they were they were nice. We're just you know we it was just like inconvenient. Like the whole like install like you know was just like a circus of of inconvenience. It was well you know. I can't imagine we doing an it. install job. I when I was in my last metal shop, we did a lot of outside stuff, but I, I we had you know guys taking care of the stuff. I couldn't imagine just you, the two of you with a truck and you know six hundred pounds worth of gates. I was like, dumb, I was like double on, parked for two days. And you didn't hilarious. get any parking tickets? Oh, because we were just like right there. I think on the second day, they like when they were delivering all that duct tape. We dropped it all off. We dropped it all off first with the trailer, so he didn't have to. And then yeah, yeah, the trailer was yeah, but um, yeah, no, just otherwise we're it was just like keep an eye on the truck. (laughs) So do you think do you because the three of you, the three of you, your 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 jobs your your you know what you your main jobs now aren't. Uh, you're not dependent on working in your shops to make money. Do you think because you have other jobs, you are able to focus your fun time in your shop? And do you think that you would be have as much uh, good times working on stuff if you had to depend on that shop, your shop, to be the breadwinner for your homes? Does that make sense? It makes sense. Yeah. yeah What's what fun? Saying. What is fun? No, what I mean, I you, you make I'm hammers sure. and you're making all these things. You know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, but we, like, you... you know, I'll speak for you, Cliff, too. Like, we stress out so bad about, like, all the things that we're doing. Like, these little stupid details that, like, it, you know, I don't want to say it's not fun because it is fun. But, like, we certainly know how to kill the fun. Like, by just obsessing over, like, where this, like, stupid line went. Like, ah, oh, like, God damn, you know... You know the the press is making it squish a little bit this way. We gotta, you know, you have to compensate this way. Like obsessing over these like little details that nobody ever sees, and it's like that's what kills it. That's what kills the fun. But it is fun in a sense to try and perfect it. But that's you know maybe it, it, what it's uh, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result is insanity. Right. You know, hitting yourself in the head. It, right. It's like. We keep we keep going and keep going and keep going and driving ourselves crazy, but we're producing, you know, good results. So, you know, what I'm saying is, is are you able to enjoy, you know, you have the ability to obsess about these things because this isn't your day job. You know, you you have the ability to that would be a whole nother level. Yes. I'm just saying I'm just saying I, I wonder because a lot of times, you know, we get messages about people who want to become professional blacksmiths or professional knife makers. They've figured this out. They've found their love and they want to make it professional. And I just wonder, with the three of you especially, if you would enjoy, like you, for example, Jesse, you, when you go into the shop and you work on a project, you don't really have, I don't, I don't know in regards to how many commissions you do and stuff like that, but... I see the joy that you have. You just rebuilt your new shop. Your shop is twice as big. You just got this beautiful awesome. Anyang power hammer we got to talk about. Do you think that if you if your livelihood were dependent on that shop, you could as enjoy it as much as you do now? Um it's that's a tough one. It's a, I know like when I first got into it and like built my shop and like when I just had that little space 
I said yes to everything. And I was selling in like tons of stores, like around like locally and kind of all around the country and, you know, only doing it part time. But I was like, I wanted to just keep, I didn't want to say no to anything. And I got, I got in way over my head. And, uh, so I had to scale back and try to find out, first of all, if I wanted to leave what I was doing and go do that full time. And the more I thought about it, I was like, I kind of like it being something that I enjoy, I can make extra money out of, but I didn't want to jump in with like both feet, so to speak. Hmm. Um, it's a tough place to be. I think, I think the only way I would do it uh, as a full-time thing would be, um, would be making like, it would have to be making like only items that I wanted to make and never any commission work. It would be, it would have to be something like I would make uh, a particular item, whether it be, uh, you know, a sculpture of some kind or any, anything, um, a one-off piece um in selling you know like i don't know i kind of see myself retiring to like kind of like craft fair circuit type stuff and being happy you know yeah, selling selling like small stuff you know i, that's I, I agree still... with that completely with what jesse said about like not doing like one-off stuff it's like if that's it's fun to do that like once in a while for people but like right. it, it would drive you insane for that to be your breadwinner. Why? I think. That, like, Why? It's a tough place to be. Like doing yeah. architecture and stuff, that's, I don't know. Whenever I've done it, I've kind of got in over my head. But Well, <laughs> that's, I feel like that's a little where I'm going, like where I just want to like make this one like really nice thing and not make it like, this is the style crossbeam I make. It's just like, I'm just making something that's really nice. It's, maybe it's one off. Maybe I'll make another. You know, like. Yeah. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. Who knows? So, like, so buy it now. What I'm getting from the three of you, and knowing you both, knowing all three of you well enough, I get the feeling that you, I get the feeling that there's not, I'm not gonna, I, I don't like to use the word fear, but I feel like there's a, there's a, there's a hesitation to say, I'm gonna quit my job and I'm gonna go full time at my shop and I'm gonna make whatever I make normally, but I'm just gonna ramp up the price, ramp up the, the, the volume. And I think that there's this sense of I think because when we all hang out and we do our hammer ins or all that stuff, we have such a good time. I feel like you're afraid you're gonna lose the love. Well, yeah, no, definitely, definitely part. Because of you it. you one end up when one all of a sudden when the sh- when the doors are open and the bills have to be paid, sometime you're gonna you and you might have to take that job you don't want to take. No, when I have when I have like too many like hammer orders like in front of me, I, like I hate it. Like I just. It's choking, yeah. Yeah, I'm just like, God damn it. Like, I don't want to, like, make these 10 hammers right now or whatever, right. however many it is. Like, and I'm, like, looking down, like, because I'm not, you know, doing this 40 hours a week. I'm, like, looking at, like, every time I get out here, it has to be dedicated to filling an order rather than me going, kind of, like, I don't know, flying by the seat of my pants or going, like, with like how I'm feeling in a day, like what I want to be forging, what I want to be working on, you know, if something's bugging me, like, I, you know, maybe I don't want to work on it for a while and I got to like, think about it and like get past this, like, I don't know, this hang up I'm having with this current project, but like having, having to fill that order, having to like get that money in, that's, you know, 
that kills it. That, that's the death of joy. <laughs> it's the death of, uh, you know, your craft, the joy for your craft a little bit. Yeah, it definitely can be. I, I can I, like the like lately I've been teaching classes like out of the shop and um with Carrie and stuff, just having like people over like one oh one blacksmithing, like, you know, uh people just getting into it. Just to give them like you know, three, four hours of exposure. Yeah. You know, like this is like, you know, a coal fire, this is how you light your coal, like these are your options, like gas, coal. Um you know, just you know, a few processes just to like get going. I think that that and kind of stuff like charges you up too a little bit. It does. It, you know, I was always so moved by it, like you know, my first experience with it at Vermont Forgings, and it just like being like, "Holy cow, this is what I want to do," well, you know, for the rest of my life. And um, it's it's you know, there's definitely magic in that coal fire, and. I think like getting putting that spark into somebody else and watching them like get excited about it, I think is really cool to share. Um, you know, and I think that's like, you know, why we've done well with the maker events, you know, is uh, being passionate, all of us being very passionate about this stuff and in, in it, that showing to who we're demonstrating for. But teaching is different than having a shop where you're producing things. You know, because you're having it's it's more of a performative event. It's also more you're in the moment when you're teaching a class. You're in the moment as opposed to looking down at a deadline. You know, obviously right. you have you know your classes yeah. two days or one day or whatever. But you're in more of a you're in more. It's almost like your head space is in a different place. Because when I teach when I taught classes, you're always like you're almost zooming and it's almost like time stopping and you know where you need to be and you know where you need to be by lunch, you know where you be, be by dinner, but it's different than like, like an order. And I, and right. I think that I disagree with all three of you for me. I just, I don't, I don't disagree with you, but I have a different opinion of it. I want to make the mess. I want to get into the weeds of having to do a lot, a, bit, a lot of projects and to see if I can get through it and make sure that this is the right thing to do. And I'm actually finding the satisfaction in the completion of a big job. Like I like that. I, I don't, I don't mind drudgery. I don't mind. We, I remember at the center for metal arts and when, when uh, we were doing railings and I, there was, there was two weeks all day long of me forging pickets I did these, we, the first thing we do the points and then we would make the point, we'd neck the points and then I'd turn the points into, into leaves and then we'd bend the leaves. I don't think I any of for, us wanted to do that. I mean, I, was, I would <laughs> loved it. I mean, I was going to bring up the, the, you know, the center for metal arts stuff. Like we, you know, you, you're way older than us. Obviously, easy. <laughs> he's he's older than me by a month. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> old man, old man Fader over here. But like, you know, you you sort you had John's the youngest, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm the fucking baby here. The baby like, of the group. You you had the you had the 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 Center for Metal Arts experience where you were conducting these classes for years. You were doing the commission work, and you know, and then after that whole time there, you moved on to fader knives or you moved on to you know whatever the hudson valley ironworks or whatever it was and you know a couple different things but then ultimately landed with fader knives which seems to be doing great and you know as far as like me and cliff goes we're sort of like inching along with maybe some of these like 
bigger projects like the gates or you know we're doing like runs of we're doing another run of the guillotines we're doing you know these like the the, the bottle opener things like we're trying to do these like production thing production items and we'll, that we can just like commit like okay we're like we got these processes down we're going to commit like whatever x amount of time to right and then the things we feel a little bit more maybe passionate about more with you know arg- artistic about um or you know, that are a little more personal like the hammer forging the axes the like these things that we really are like trying to put everything into like to make it look as you know pleasing to us you know we can put those things aside and and commit that time to when you know we break the other projects down to like all right we got like we're gonna spend you know six hours today on you know drilling tapping these holes and like that's it like we have to like we have to get all this done like within this time you know so we're we're, we're i think we're trying to find a little bit of a balance with that and you know let some things be passion and let some things be like real just like fucking work just, like don't don't feel anything about it we just have to get it done like go fast like go so could you i mean obviously you know especially during the, the pandemic there were a lot of people at home buying things. I, I think that the things that all three, all four of us are selling are very approachable in terms of the product itself, the, you know, things that we make that fits in boxes, hammers and axes and bottle openers and knives and whatever. These are things that are, uh, and within regards to our price, our prices are all, I, in my opinion, are very approachable. We all were able to sell things. We're all able to make a little bit of money over pandemic, which is great. Why don't you, when do you think that you'd ever say, all right, I'm going to quit my job at wherever, and then this is what I'm going to do? Or is that something you ever think about? Definitely thinking about it. I mean, I yeah. Was, oh, I yeah. mean, for me, you know, for me and Cliff, it's, we, you know, we talk about it all the time. You know, both of us are maybe a little chicken shit, you know, I, I've got, I, I got was going to say chicken shit. I was chicken just going to say, I was just going to say chicken all right, fine. But you yeah, know, whatever. Cliff's Cliff's got his little lady friend, and he's you know, in, the, in Manhattan. I've no, got no, babies no. in a house. You know, it's the, a little b- before uh, that. I'm just I, I I'm not I'm not a gambler or a risk taker. So like right. I, I like to like plan things out and everything. And I know where you're what you're saying, Jeff. Where it's like you like to go this certain way, and I, there is that fear of like uh, you know getting bored with it but like in my right. in my dream plan it'd be like a mixture of all the things i do now it'd be like yeah we could have some some production items that we have the process like really dialed in and we could sell those i do like teaching which is what i do now i do like teaching so i'd like to do that as well and it'd be nice to keep the kind of commission-based stuff the things you want to do the things people ask and you're like i want to do that like keep those kind of in the smaller batches like as, right. as the last thing you do. What I'm getting to, what I'm getting to from the beginning was, I'm envious of all three of you because I see when you guys go into the shop and whether or not you want to, you know, we can nitpick whether or not you wanted to go in to do those, you know, John, you wanted to make those uh, camels or you didn't want to make the railings or stuff. The fact is, is you guys, are, when you guys go into the shop, I feel like there is, you guys preserve, it's like, you preserve your love of forging for you instead of for your family. Does that make sense? 
I, I know well, that you guys. It, it, like it, it, you brought up the camels, like so that that was like a perfect example of like that was something I took on because that was like right at the beginning of COVID, like in whatever January 2020, I gave like these you know uh, whatever the, you know it came up and I'm like here's my like here's the price I'll make. You were commissioned to make some giant steel camels. Yeah, they were they were stainless like quarter what are they quor- yeah quarter inch. Uh, round bar steel, stainless steel round bar uh, topiary armatures. They were, they were the whatever the uh, fuck are they called? Whatever the two hump camels. And, like the uh, things that like two hump camels. Like, yeah, because like they, a they, plant they, that looks like a, a plant that looks name. like a thing. <laughs> Like they had a name. It's a, it's a two, the hump, the camel has two humps instead of one. Uh, but like you know, in January of 2020, they, like I was approached, like here, you know, you want to do this? Like, what's your price? And I gave him a price. And then, uh, a couple months later, March of 2020 or March or April, they came back. Like they, they, you know, they. They were just like, no, 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 like, fuck that. Like, there's some lady in California. She'll do it for $700 each. <laughs> Fucking take it. Go ahead. You know, that that's ridiculous. But then when, like, lockdown, fucking COVID, fucking March, April of 2020 happened, they came back to me and said, will you do it for, like, a third of the price? Basically, I'll do all three of them for the price of one. I was just like, yep. Absolutely. <laughs> because I was home. It was it was not hot work. Like I could wake up at whatever five, six AM, go out, start bending some stainless steel around, you know, start making these forms, and I could stop at any point. I could go in, I could walk, you know, I could go in for whatever I duck out for like a little bit of time and just like keep bending, keep like tacking these things together. And at the time I didn't know if my school was gonna like reopen ever you know my i work at a very little uh you know art school it's a graduate school graduate or whatever graduate program but like we don't have a shitload of money there's no like endowments that are gonna keep us open you know I, they they applied for like ppe loans and all or ppp loans not ppe but like you know it was so uncertain that like when this these these this whatever group comes and starts offering me thousands of dollars to do this project while I'm just sitting at home. I'm like, okay, fine. Like you got me. You, you know, <laughs> like that's how you, that, that was a good negotiation tactic. You sons you. of bitches. Like you guys got me. You took a fucking global pandemic to fucking make me lower my price. One hump or two, two humps. That's what I'm saying. That's what you said to him. What do you want? One what do you want? One hump or two? Yeah, Where do you want? Or two humps. Yeah. <laughs> the two humps is going to cost you. But, you know, I, so, you know, when you say, like, when it comes to, like, feeding your family, that, like, that, that was very much in my head, like, when I agreed to do that, you know, do that project. Like, when I went to go pick up the stainless steel, it was, like, fucking wipe down the car. What, you know, go in. I, like, I had to fill up, like, the COVID, re- like, report like paperwork that was going to go to their legal department just to pick up this like stainless steel bar like it you know it was crazy at the time and you know i was just like well fuck it man i you know i I need this income right now even though my school was still paying me i'm like how long is that gonna last like how how long am i gonna be able to hold out or how how long are they gonna hold out and before they just say you know you're not really doing anything during all this time 
So we're just going to have to let you go, like go on, go on unemployment. Like, you know, a lot of people did, which in hindsight, like maybe I should have, I probably would have made more money. <laughs> Dude, that's the biggest <laughs> issue now. No, I that's know. And, it, and it's crazy. And like, you know, integrity wise, I, like I wouldn't, I couldn't ride it out. Like I didn't want to do that. Like when, when we were actually able to reopen, I was like, fuck this. I'm going back. Like I can't, like, I can't sit at home. This is ridiculous. Right. So I don't, I forgot where I started with that, but that I'm going to end now. Where we were talking about the, you took on that hump job. Yeah. The fucking hump job. Listen, I wish I could say that was the first hump job I took on, but you know, that's, that's a different story for a different uh, podcast. I yeah, mean, for you too, Cliff, I mean, I remember you were having the same situation as you were kind of stuck in your building and you were... Yeah, Cliff all, was... Really? You were stuck all alone there oh, yeah, in the basement. I was, yeah, I was, I was fucking isolated. Yeah. It was rough. I'm sure it was the same for a lot of people, you know? During yeah, the beginning absolutely. of that, when everyone was like super paranoid about the whole thing. Yeah, I was getting but you had you had a works you had a workshop. At least you had a workshop. I would, I would go down there building. and I would, I, 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 you know, I knocked out a lot of projects that like were on the back burner, but then I started to like run out of stuff. I was like, oh my God, I've actually like finished all these projects. Like now what? Like, I need to get out of here. Yeah. You were making, um, you were like turning wood. You sent me that awesome bowl. Like oh, from, yeah. I sent you down that firewood and then you, you were getting wood from someplace in New York and. Yeah, I got, I got um, the, that was a, that was a perk. Definitely. I like to look at the bright yeah. side of it. I got to spend a lot more time <laughs> on my, my wood lathe, which I bought like two years ago as a Christmas present to myself. Yeah. And yeah, so I got better at that. What a weird year that that was. It was just like the year I want to forget, but. Well, you yeah. also, you also built a shop in the yeah. beginning of the pandemic. With, right? with, my fa- with my father every day for four weeks and every board I cut, my dad said, you really want to cut there? Thank God I had him to help me. But Your original shop was kind of like a shipping container. <laughs> Say it again, Chad. Your original shop was kind of the size of a shipping container. It was it thirty three by twelve, so it was like narrow. Um, and then you made the plans to re to kind of yeah. Double it, I made really. it. I made it like forty four by twenty six. So it's um, I'm too broad to walk through. Your, I was too broad to walk through your <laughs> yeah. shop. Now I'm like I could probably do cartwheels through it. <laughs> yeah, when when I bought the like the An Yang, I thought Can you do it was gonna. I thought it was. No, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. I thought I actually thought the new hammer was gonna take up a lot of room, but it really didn't. If, if it starts, if it starts to, you know, get in your way, <laughs> get, just you yeah. can bring it down here. No, no yeah, might as well. So you built this new space. You did did it. You built it yourself, or you had people build it with? Yeah, me, my dad, and my brother. Um, I had like a a mason friend that was a builder his whole life, and he came and helped me set up like the headers and stuff. So I knew it was tough actually because like I couldn't really make it level because the original building, you know, it's just kind of like on the dirt anyways. But it wasn't level to begin with, so I was kind of going trying to make it somewhat true but had to really like compensate for the building itself um because i was feeding the rafters into the old building to go to the new header i set up so it was it was a fun project you know it wasn't that big of a deal and luckily like wood right now i couldn't do it with the price of 
you know, wood's gone through the, what it's like up 200, 300%. I was yeah, just about insane. to say, I mean, you got all the equipment you started, you started with, the, we, you started building last August, right? Yeah. August. I think, well, I had the, um, I had an excavator crew in for like a weekend. Yeah. Like the end of July and he leveled the land and, um, you know, did all that, all that stuff. So like the rest was like me just cutting wood and putting it up stick by stick. And I was getting like deliveries of wood every day. Um, it really wasn't that expensive to add on. It was, um, uh, the, you know, having the, them come and do the the groundwork with the excavation was like costly, you know, I, but it is, it is amazing how you were able to kind of avoid the, uh, that, you know, you did buy wood when it was really, really inexpensive. I, wonder... I lucked out. I lucked out and it was like all like the, um, all the barn born came from like a local mill, like right down the road. And, um, you know, I, I lucked, I did luck out with some things. With other things, I didn't do um, some things right. Like I didn't, uh, I didn't insulate it at all because the other shop wasn't insulated. And this winter, with my little wood stove, I could get it to ninety in there. So I was like, "Oh, it's no big deal. Like I don't even need insulation." Um, but with the new power hammer being so loud, I'm like, "I gotta insulate." So I've been like kind of taking down the metal walls and insulating with like soundproofing. Um, like that stone wolf soundproofing fireproof stuff um jamming that between the the metal and the burn board just the you know hopefully you know so i'm not bothering anybody by you know the hammer making noises how has i mean obviously with the new anyang you have an anyang and you also have that beautiful 25 pound little giant how has it the how has it changed the way you work the new shop I still walking in there breathing into a paper bag to be quite honest like Why? Uh, uh I'm like I'm like I don't really like change and it's like what the fuck what is that the That was not me. Who's that? <laughs> Cliff. Cliff. No, it wasn't Cliff. <laughs> Somebody was taking shit. Somebody taking shit on my podcast. This is what I get. This is what I get. I accidentally hit the unmute button. This is what happens the on my moment. year in Oh. Cliff, were you having a shit? Were you having a shit during that a whole Jesse? It was the number part? one, bro. I know. It was the number one. I think, I think you just named the podcast. Oh my god! <laughs> Holy shit! Uh. <laughs> That's a first. That's a first. Oh, Jesse was talking man. about reading in a paper bag. I was and all of a sudden, the toilet I was having oh, a sensitive no, moment. It was, <laughs> you were really having a sensitive moment. Clifton didn't give a fuck. He, was, he, he says it was he a one, but you know it was a two. You know it was a two. That was the greatest thing. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. That's oh, right, baby. I mean, how do you get back in? So, so... I, I don't know. I don't want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> That was funny. Oh man, that uh, was the best. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> oh man. All right, I guess we have got to. Ch- all right, so uh, we're all any, caught up. Do you have any questions or hot takes that we should read? No, we don't have anything. Oh, I, got, I got, I got something. Oh, okay, shit. Go Jeff, ahead. here we go. What's uh? 
I want. I just wanted to announce the new news about uh, Jeff being um, a new instructor at Center for Metal Arts in 2022. Oh shit! That's right. Nice. That's right. That's what's right. It, so what's the workshop you're going to teach? So what happened was was a number of months ago. Well, I got to thank this podcast because I had a really good when I had uh, Pat Quinn on. He, he, I knew him, and we've talked, but we really kind of like got to know each other on the podcast. And a number of months ago, he put out. I guess the Center for Mental Arts was putting out a call for instructors for classes. And I thought to myself, why don't you just submit one? Because otherwise, you're just going to regret not to. I, I mean, I thought I'm going to submit an idea for a class. And just because I would regret it if I didn't. So I was thinking about, you know, I know all the guys who are in the you're teaching classes besides you and Carrie and Salem Straub and, and, and Nick. And I'm not going to, you know, I had to figure out what I was going to teach. And I came up with the idea. I've been really fooling around with these forged uh, turnstile. I call them turnstile friction folders. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to make something different than everybody, all the other friction folder guys. And the way I've been doing the friction folders, I really wanted to kind of um, curate the class to be very forge friendly, more blacksmithing, less knife making. And um, I'm going to do this friction folder class. We're going to do one next spring in December 2022 and then one in the fall. And it's going to be this style. So the cool thing was I came up with this idea and I, you know, I did the pitch to 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 this. I didn't do it to. I didn't DM it to to Pat. I filled out the paperwork and just went through the the proper channels. And I guess he got a number of uh, entries. And then he reached out. He wanted pictures, and we talked for a little bit. And he loved it. What, what what's going to be really cool about it is is you know when I make the friction folders, I do them differently than a lot of guys because I really wanted to use. You know, I really try to be thoughtful in regards to how I make them and you know, where they're coming from. And I like using angle bar for the handles because I like the way the, the, the apex of the handle change, how the apex of the angle changes when you kind of squeeze it to make the handle. And I started to use, I was actually funny enough when I, I made one recently, you know, you do need some sort of washers in, in these friction folders, especially in between uh, the blade and the handle. But then on the outside, it, it's kind of really does help. And I was like, I just hated all the washers I found. I just hated them all. And I was moving my mother, and I was helping her move. And in one of her drawers, she had all this change. And in the change were these – when I was a kid, we would take the subway, and before they had Metro cards, they had different styles of tokens. And one of the tokens was referred to as the five-borough pentagram. And basically it was a token, and in the middle there was this pentagram hole – and the pentagram represented the five boroughs of New York, Brooklyn, Queens, uh, the Bronx, Manhattan, Staten Island. So the size of the hole was perfect because I just needed to file it out a little bit to get the rivet through, the rivet pin through. And I liked it. And I really liked it. And I sent a message to Pat, I mean, well, the Center for Mental Arts, and I said, you know, it would be really cool because, you know, this means something to me. And then he sent me back this message saying, and you, you know better than me, Jesse, but there's like a, a fini- what is that? There's like a tramway there? What's the tram over in Johnston? Uh, what, uh, what the heck do they call that? Carrie, what's the name of the – it's it, the it's the old lift like that takes – they used to take like the workers 
from up the hill. It's the lifter Rooney. Incline, in, oh, incline plane. No, not the lifter. Well, they have. So I guess that, they use tokens for that. Yeah. And the the tokens, the tokens have a hole in the middle, and they're great, and they're beautiful. They're beautiful tokens with a hole in the middle, and he thought this would be great to make this kind of Johnstown, uh, you know, friction folder. So we're going to be using the tokens from the town as the washers for the rivets of the of the uh of the friction folder. So it was a really really neat. It was a, it was a thoughtful project. I really thought it through and especially I changed some of the ways that I do things and make it very like, you know, blacksmithing and make the transition between the lever and the blade to be very pronounced and it was a really good thing and I was shitting bricks, be honest with you, because he said he sent me a message and he said let's talk about it and then the questions he had were very easy to answer. And then he says, "Let's do it." He says, "I need you to send me. A, I need you to send me a sample so I can take pictures." I'm very fastidious about the pictures, so I ended up doing like five or six of them. Every single one, I was like, "This isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. This isn't good enough." Because he sent me a couple of the tokens. He sent me four tokens, and I was just like, "Well, I gotta. I can't ruin these." So I made like five of them, and then the fifth one it was really, you know, pretty good. And I sent it down to him, and uh, like a couple weeks later, he sent me a message saying, "I love it." And uh, so we're going to be doing two classes. I'm very excited. I'm very honored. Um, it was something that I am very honored to be one of the instructors there with you guys. And it, it means a yeah, lot. Nice. It's a feather yeah. in my cap. It, it, it really, this is one of those things that was like, it felt really, really good to get. So I'm really psyched about it. Yeah, you'll have a fun time teaching there. We're actually we're teaching there this weekend. I I know I know yeah. it's going to be cool. That's the one thing about you know the Center for Mental Arts is really turned into this place that's just like I'm amazed at what he's been able to do and the fact that he's been able to you know create this nonprofit and make it you know bring in these great people and it just everything about it is just really kind of you know very picturesque. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll for sure for breaking the news, breaking the news. You know, we're uh, that's that would be the time to flush the toilet cliff. Just to let you know <laughs> if you wanted to. I can do it again if you want. I bet you well, anytime you want. Just, just feel free. I'm I not at the toilet currently, but sure. you're not far away. I got a small yeah, apartment, so. so it's very close. Clearly, <laughs> clearly, <laughs> I'm, I can't believe we didn't hear you pee. Unless you were I muted down. it. I accidentally sitting down. I accidentally <laughs> hit unmute as it was flushing. So you wait, so you had the you had the so you carried, I carried the computer, the computer with you? and the microphone. While you were taking it, then how'd you hold your penis? I, I, I put it on the sink. How big do you think my bathroom is? You put is? your penis on the sink? <laughs> oh the computer penis. on the sink. <laughs> oh boy. It's like a closet, basically. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Very impressive. Yeah, I'm so glad that's I didn't the big drop news the mic and... in there. <laughs> you carry that whole huge mic. This into. blue ball mic you gave me. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. So I'm psyched and uh, it's a it's a big honor. So I'm very appreciative. Of that. It's a weekend class. We're gonna do two weekend classes. Yeah, two two day classes. Nice. Two day. Uh, two two day class. Yeah, it was that was the thing. He wanted short classes too. So. It'll be fun, and I don't know when they're going to go on sale. I, I really kept my mouth shut. You know, the funny thing was, as, as Jesse said, so are we going to talk about your class? I'm like, I don't know. You know, I like 
Pat a lot. I don't know him very well, but I like him. But I also know that he's very specific, and I just didn't want to like every five minutes. I think I'm gonna like say something, and he's just gonna say, "Ah, we just changed our minds. We don't want you." So I'm like very like I'm, I'm backing the fuck away for a long time. I'm, like I'm not talking about it because I don't want to all of a sudden be like, you know what? This isn't the, really the tone we want to take. I have no idea. So I'm, I've kept my mouth shut this long. No, you'll so. be fine. It will. It will be good. It'll be good. I, I yeah. taught the class. I taught the class uh, Doghouse Forge, and it was a lot of fun. And I made some changes to the way I taught it after teaching it at Doghouse. And the, the thing is, is the friction folders are fun. And Cliff, uh, uh, John, you you made one with that that beautiful ring, and you know how fun they are. And a lot of the reason why friction folders are fun is because you don't have to do a lot. There's no glue to dry. You don't need the micarta or the G10. You don't need to do. It's not as much knife making. It's almost. It's it's not as it's more blacksmithing in general. It's actually the most fun I've had making a knife, you know. So it will it, hopefully it'll be really kind of blacksmith oriented. And this is actually something that you know I wanted to bring up with you guys is the fact that a lot of knife makers, you know, we deal with a lot of knife makers. A lot of knife makers don't take classes, but they certainly don't take blacksmithing classes. I'm interested in what you guys think in regards to if you were a blades. Most of the I mean, most of my listeners are bladesmiths. A lot of them are blacksmiths. Most of them are bladesmiths. If you were to talk to some of these guys in regards to how you could become better knife makers, what would you suggest? I actually just want to like bring up because you brought it up, but Nick Rossi just fucking took it to a whole nother level with his last friction folder where he put actually he actually put wood scales on the side. He is that was like uh, I just I saw that shit and I was like God fucking damn it like now I guess I got to make another one <laughs> you know <laughs> oh like, God ah, like yeah like the, it was really cool to have like you know I had some super pitted uh, angle iron you know I, that's what I did my you know my whatever what are you calling it scales of I just call it the handle the handle like that's what I made mine out of super pitted hurricane sandy angle iron from Mr. Lee tribe who we know uh, so it was like super textured like just to begin with but like then this fucking guy comes out he's like yeah I threw some I threw some wood I threw some wood scales on there Ooh. Nick Nick Rossi takes everything to a level that's very approachable like you know, the you know friction it's folder, not like we like hadn't thought about it but then he like did it his like, his uh... approach his approach to everything his approach to everything is very very approachable and not to i mean i hated how i worded that but that's the way it is think like that i mean when i first saw friction folders i just saw them as guys would take a knife and they'd make it with a bottle opener on the end and then they'd have some a handle, you know, of of kind of screwed together G10, and it, there, there was just a lot of the stuff that I saw around contemporary. None of it was as beautiful as like the traditional Japanese um, Higo no Kami style, you know, you know, duke, duke. quick quick openers. You know, what 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 guys like Nick Rossi have done is they've kind of. Elevated everything to a very visually approachable level. I got to get him on here at some point. I got to get him on here. He actually, if you want to listen to, he was on with Toby. Uh, Toby and Honor. Oh, I saw yeah, that. He was on with Toby. Yeah, that's a betrayal. It's not. Nothing's a betrayal. Nothing's a betrayal. You don't want. You don't have any statements. Yeah. Nothing's a betrayal. I. You know, Toby's a good dude. God bless him because he's getting good guests. 
I I wish I get frustrated. I'm envious. I'm envious of anything. If, if anything, I just got. I always say to myself, let it. I just wait and give give him some air because I can't just like you know start getting you know getting his guests right after them either because that, that's unfair to him. But it's also like you know give listeners something a little bit of time. So usually what I'll do is if if you know like he did a good job with with Nick, uh, and I want to get my hands on him, and but I'm gonna like wait a little bit just because. You can't just like poach people's dudes right out one right after the other. It doesn't work. It doesn't sound good either. So, but uh, you're right. No, what Nick does is great. I, I think that back to the question at hand is you guys are all blacksmiths. And one time I was talking to John a long time ago, and we were talking about how I guess you were forging your first integral knife, and you were just like, "This is easy because this is just like making a leaf." And I try to tell people that if they take blacksmithing classes, they'll get a more of an idea of how to manipulate mass and stuff like that. What would you say to people wanting to become knife makers? What do you think their best opportunities are or best things they should be doing as blacksmiths? I actually have uh, have a couple of students recently who were all of a sudden just like, oh, I want to make knives. And I was like, oh, cool, you want to actually forge stuff. So I, like, helped them start to, like, make some knives. But at the same time, you know, I know damn well I'm not even close to a great knife maker. Like, I can make a knife because I've forged enough. Please stop. Please let's flush the toilet again because you're, you've made, like, the handful of knives you've made are better than what I make. But I'm, so I'm, I'm, trust I, me, I, just I'm not, like, off. naive enough to think that, like, I'm – anywhere near the best or anything like that like i've literally it's funny you mentioned nick rossi because i was uh one of my students was like showing a knife they wanted to make and he and then like the next day i saw him post something that was like the he did like a three minute video where he forged the knife like a similar knife like really fast and i sent it to her and i was like i'm like if you if you have the opportunity like these guys are close you know the the relatively close to where we are it's like is it new england school of metalworks that's right yeah (laughs) so i was like if you if you want like if you're really into it like you can learn from someone who's been doing this for forever i'm like i i i can you know i can give you the general idea and we can make something that looks good like a knife but like I'm not, I don't, you know, I, I can make a nice knife. That doesn't mean I make it in like a reasonable amount of time. What do you think, Jesse, in terms of like people getting into blacksmithing and bladesmithing? What do you, what do you think? Yeah, uh, I think, uh, I think it would be helpful to be able to make their own tongs, the whole the material that they're trying to work. Yeah. And I know, I know you can buy a ton of tongs, but in order to have a pair that fit your, your hands, um, I mean, not that you can't reshape a pair of tongs you buy you or new or used. Um, I don't know. I think people are built differently. You know, you want longer reins or smaller material. I think just the simple, it's not like tongs are hard to make if you're not worried about how perfect they are. You just need them to hold the material. Um, they're relatively simple, you know, and I think, I think that's a, that's a, a good starting point. Cause like, Pat at CMA always says if you can't if you can't hold it you can't hit it you know right um I so I think you know just like some basic tool making would be good 
What do you think, John? I I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's for for the beginner, like you know, the hobbyist, whatever. You know, you're obviously not putting in, you know, forty hours. So if you get your whatever couple hours a week or whatever your weekends like where you go like do you want to spend whatever couple hours like drawing out reins on tongs or do you want to you know forge something small I mean I think like an integral knife like whatever like a four six inch integral like knife is like totally manageable with you know in a couple hours and like maybe you know maybe that's something you just like practice on practice you know, I, I know you guys talk about like, oh, practice on the real steel. You could just like practice on like bullshit. That's what I, that's what I, when my students wanted yeah. to do it, I literally was like, I showed them on mild steel without tongs. It was, uh, you know, probably like eighth inch by one inch flat bar. And I just heated up like on the long bar and like forged the knife basically on the bar just to give them an idea. And I was like, just do this a bunch of times. I'm like, don't worry if it gets messed up. If it gets messed up. Cut it off. Do it again. Like do that a few times before. I, you, I don't practice what I preach. You, I I do it all out of like whatever. Because I'm like, well, but what if it turns out awesome? <laughs> yeah, we, we have we, we have a little more experience than. Some, <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm pretty awful. But, I said a little. I didn't say. Yeah, like, like a, a little, like a fucking microscopic like a, amount a more, more than a, an amateur. I'm like, what what's in between an amateur and a professional? Because that that maybe is me. But it's uh, intermediate. Inter, inter, yeah. You're blue diamond. Blue diamond. Blue. I'm a blue ball, Mike. Green circle. <laughs> Green circle. Um, I just think that I, I find the whole thing very. You know, I, I talk to so many people who, who don't want to. You know, I, I just think that the idea of building things and becoming a blacksmith first and understanding how to move materials, the way to go teach, take a class at the new England school. Yeah, take a class or just practice like, or, you know, don't be fully committed. You know, I just think it's also like, don't, don't waste your time on something that like, isn't like that can't, that doesn't have the potential to be something, you know, you know what I mean? Like mild steel can go a long way. You know, in terms of can always be a letter like, opener. It can always be a letter That's opener. That's what I told them. Or, or you know, if if you're making a you know a hammer, it could always be a soft hammer. You know, you could always just use it to like right. bash your you know punches in, and just like you don't care about it. Or it can always be uh, like, make a spoon or a just, butter like, knife just, yeah, or whatever. I don't know. I, I just like I, we we were just talking about it, Cliff. Like we just did something else at him. Oh, we just made for that stupid for the stupid uh. Pull, pull bars that we made like we made a drift because we just like you know oh, we had yeah, this so the, we had this uh, thing yeah, that we door needed pulls, the door pulls. like you know yeah. this guy this knucklehead like cut it not to our specifications and we needed it to just be like whatever it was 20 thou over inch and a quarter so really quickly you know cliff just like throws this shit into the forge and makes it really quick drift out of something I, whatever whatever it was you know just something to drift it open and it was just mild steel. It was scrap mild steel yeah. Yeah, just like some scrap mild doing? steel and like it rolled off because I'm gesturing through my, my mic <laughs> I'm, I'm talking with my hands man it's North Jersey fun but like you know we made this it's like we only need this drift to work one time 
which it it's totally usable again. But like you know, you just make it out of mild steel. You practice making the drift, and you can use it. And you know, it doesn't just like just because it's mild steel doesn't mean it's useless. So you know, but it also doesn't mean that it's uh, this precious metal. Like you, oh, you know, spend a ton of money on H thirteen S seven, like yeah. all this crap. Like you can practice on it and still use all of these things if you use them properly. And it's well, it's safer to use than using something that somebody new like doesn't heat treat right. Right. I mean, you I, know, you know, it's I, not going to hurt anybody to make it out of mild. Makes more sense. Yeah. Right. The only thing that's going to hurt yeah. is the drift or right. whatever it is, the punch. Exactly. The... But it's a it's a disposable item, even if it's a you know a tool tree, you know, a, um, tool steel drift. It's it's eventually going to wear out either yeah, way. Yeah. So. yeah. It's consumable. Yeah, it's a yeah, consumable exactly. thing. It's, it, because you know, even the scrap price of it is like it's, it's fifty cents worth of steel. You just like just do it. And really, if it's that big, yeah. it's an inch and a half or whatever it was an inch and a quarter or something like that thing can still be forged down into something even smaller and even smaller and even smaller until it's nothing. <laughs> you know, I liked how when you guys did those handles that you did the like you reverse the twist so that they you know they go when they're going side yeah, by yeah, side we, at, the, we, like, at we, the doors. We I was like, that's them. awesome. That was, that was yeah, a game time exactly. decision. We didn't know whether I didn't I get like, clear instructions. I, think I was like, on John, that. it is double doors, right? So they should be the opposite. And he's like, I think so. Let's just do it. No, I yeah, like, yeah. They're, it, probably, that wasn't, they're probably double doors. If they're not, that wasn't clear. Yeah. We 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 <laughs> called, like, we, not, we they're not far enough away. will <laughs> notice. Yeah, my my they're thought also... was either they're going to be right next to each other and they'll look great, like being like bookmarked or bookmatched. What is it? Yeah, book match. Book match. Book match. Match booked. Match booked. Or like they're gonna be on separate doors that are gonna be like down a hallway, and no one will ever notice that like it's a different twist. You just give them two humps. I just gave them two humps real quick. <laughs> Double hump. <laughs> and two, two humps. No one. <laughs> two humps and flush the toilet. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. No. That. That. You know. That was a fun little. That was a fun quick. Thing that turned out to be a bigger thing just in terms of you know I thought nothing of that project I was just like let's just let's just fucking do this and like get it done and but it turned they turned out to look awesome yeah they look amazing they look you know, great it, yeah. inch and a quarter twist yeah, that was that was that was fun yeah that's some big steel that was fun guys that was fun that was fun I want to tell I before we go because we're, we're going to wrap this thing up because Squadcast is going to kick us off. John Ariani is, is the first custom hammer maker to have a hammer on the cover of Blade. But Magazine. do we know that for sure? We I'm saying it. <laughs> so that means yes, it's for sure. I, the, <laughs> I don't know. It's, a big it's, deal. it's for sure. I mean, there's I don't no, know. I just, I just, I saw that you just told Blade Magazine that you just subscribed to them. So, like, you don't actually know. For I'm gonna, fact. I'm gonna do some research. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying, let's confirm this because there could I'm easily be. I'm confirming it. I don't know. Ben Snore's pretty popular with the. Uh, yeah, but he's not on the on the cover. He might be. You never know. I'm, I'm saying if if. If if Neil Kamamore is the first person to be on the cover holding a There's hammer, there's got to be a hammer out there. That's you know. I think you're the, the only one. So I'm telling I'm you now. First. We'll have to do the research. You're. you're I mean, I gave Blade you, two you and I are and... both. 
You and I are both outsiders on that. You and I are both outsiders in that in that magazine. I, I just found out that my watercolor got put in. I'll, that's hilarious. That my watercolor and your and your hammer. I, oh, I got awesome. a couple copies. I don't know if you ordered any, but I got a couple copies. No, I got no. one for you. I'll take one. All right. What am I going to do? I'll bring with that? you some. <laughs> you don't want a copy. You don't want another copy. No, Neil. Neil sent me the the picture of the cover. Like that. You know. Was okay. Look at look what, at that beautiful handle on that hammer. It's it's got a the head is banging like handle scrap metal basically but Perfect. did you make the hand did you make the handle <laughs> scrap metal it's like mild steel he made it no out he's of. giving me a hard time <laughs> because Jay Lee's says my handles are superior to everybody <laughs> Jared Lee's I think that's his name Jared, Jared sorry yeah. sorry we call you Jay Lee's that's his that's his it's uh, your handle it's your handle it's we handle. call you Jay Lee's he did a he did a review that said my handles are better than Cliffs and better than Alex he didn't Fields. say that he did. He said it. <laughs> That's what you heard. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Jeff. If you want to get a hammer, you can ac- you, you want to get anything from these guys. <laughs> and then call John for the handle. John uh, McKee. Don't call me for anything. Business. All right. All right. All right. Listen, let me, let me wrap this. Let me wrap John this thing handle. up, guys. Cliff Dufton is CJ Dufton on Instagram. Get whatever he sells. Uncle Sunset, Sunset Forge, NJ, John Ariani, get whatever he sells. And Jesse Savage, <laughs> Jesse shit. Savage Blacksmith on Instagram, get whatever he sells. And go follow The Modern Forge and know that we will be at Maker Camp this Columbus Day. I guess this is yeah, Columbus Day Columbus weekend. Day weekend. Yeah. It's going to be a blast. We'll be there. I, indigenous Day, please. <laughs> They're, they're going to have so many more people there this year. I think it's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It will be definitely John fun. will have a, a cooler full of beer. He'll be selling beer out of the back of his truck. Beer is allowed. I, I'm going to sell Jesse's beer. He's going to be selling fan. anvils. Cliff is going to be doing his thing. We're going to have a lot of fun, and we hope to see you all there. Uh, in the meantime, I, I'm happy with how things went. This has been a good year. 52 episodes in 52 weeks. No, no flea bagging it. No stopping. No nothing. We we did it, and we yeah, have it's more, a big push. We have that's more awesome. pro. We have more projects coming up. I got next week, the downward spiral returns. Nico Tavernese is going to join me, and then the week after that, Jordan Lamote will be stopping by. We're going to talk about what he's up to. He's supposed to be going to India soon. We're going to talk about that. Please. Everybody, go follow these guys, C.J. Dufton, Jesse Savage, Blacksmith, Sunset Forge, N.J., and go follow Will Stelter, too, because he's going to be coming back this summer as well. And go, please, if you like this podcast, I need you to subscribe on on iTunes or wherever you follow this. I need you to leave me a review. Be supportive. Subscribe. And we will see you next week. With the return of the downward spiral, Nico Tavernisi. Guys, it's been a lot of fun this past year. We got more fun to come. Guys, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Thanks, buddy. Congratulations. Hey, just Cliff, I feel like you should flush the toilet. <laughs> go ahead. I wish the toilet Go flush the toilet. Go flush the toilet, Cliff. It's make sure make sure you tell Jordan to uh make sure you tell Jordan to carry his poor his passport with him while he's traveling Jeez. India. Oh yeah. Very it's good important. tip from Genghis John.
Very that's important. That's right, Genghis John. Yeah. Okay, that's the that's the toilet the flush, everybody. We'll see, we'll see. We'll see you next that's week. That's the one. The Full Blast Podcast is proudly sponsored by Axe Wax, an all-natural, food-safe wax for coating your handles. It can be used on your axes, your knives, or even on your boots with the full confidence that Axe Wax is safe and durable. Furthermore, if you use the promo code FULLBLAST10, you will get a special 10% discount on your order. So go to axewax.us and get yourself some of the most luxurious wax for waxing your axe. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.